The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hello everybody, this is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with a shiur on Parshat. Mishpatim. Parashat Mishpatim is so full of so many different alachot. There's so many things here. It's difficult to choose what to talk about. But I want to talk today about a pasuk in Parashat Mishpatim, which tells us, Lo tivashel gdi b'chalav imo. They are not allowed to cook a kid goat in the milk of its mother. This pasuk, Loti Vashel Gedi comes up three times in the Torah. Three times Hashem told us, Loti Vashel Gedi We know that nothing in the Torah is extra. Everything is there for a reason. Everything has a purpose. Why did Hashem need to tell us three times they're not allowed to cook a kid goat in the milk of its mother. Say Chazal wants to tell us that we're not allowed to eat them together. The second time to tell us that we're not allowed to cook them together. And the third time to tell us that you're not allowed to get any benefits from the two having been cooked together. So not to eat them together is simple. Not, and because of not eating them together, we also come, we also have a rabbinical commandment to wait between meat and milk. Three different customs. The Ramah says an hour is sufficient. The Bet Yosef Marana Shulchan Aruch says that six hours is the separation that we need in accordance with the opinion of the Rambam and the Rosh. And there's what appears to be a, a custom. Today, many people wait three hours. Even though three hours doesn't actually have much of a source in Halakha, but it's become an accepted thing amongst many, many Jews. And that itself bears Halachic standing, halachic standing to, to the three hours. So we have complete separation between milk and meat in our kitchens. We have separate utensils for meat and separate utensils for milk. I'm just going to do a quick recount of some basic kashut points and then I want to get into a, a serious question about what's called a not bar not. And that is, if you cook something that is parif, like pasta, for example, in a meaty pot, are you allowed to then cook it, then eat it together with cheese sauce? The same thing would, of course, apply. And if you were to buy French fries from a hamburger shop, are you now meaty? 
Can you eat, can you, or, and if, if not, can you eat those french fries together with a cheese sauce? These are the questions we're going to have to deal with today, but first let's get some basic understandings of kashrut. Right, we all have separate things in our kitchens for meat and milk. We have separate pots and pans, separate plates, separate knives and forks. Separate sinks nowadays we all have. I remember a hundred years ago everyone had one sink. You could manage with one sink. I'm not going to go into that today, maybe another time. But certainly you can remember a hundred years ago everyone had just one sink and everyone managed fine with kashrut. But today we need six sinks. We need one for meat, one for milk and one for parev. So that's already three sinks. And we need the same three for Pesach. So today we're having six sinks in our kitchens. Six dishwashers and six stoves maybe too. The main thing is we have to have complete separation between meat and milk. Now, um, the reason why we have a problem with our pots and pans is because of a rule in Kashrut which is called Tam Ke'ika. That means that the taste of meat, even if there's no substance of meat, the taste of meat is like meat itself. It's like there is a substance of meat. So when I cook meat in a new aluminium pan or a new metal pan, it is going to absorb, the taste of the meat will be absorbed in the walls of the pot. That pot is now a meaty pot. If, within 24 hours, I cook milk in the same pot, the milk is not kosher. The milk has absorbed now a mixture of, mi- of meat that came out of the sides of the pot into the milk, and the milk itself the milk has to be thrown away. I can't use that milk anymore. The pot is also now not kosher and is going to need to be made kosher. The way we do that is a process called Hagalah. We wait 24 hours, then we immerse it in boiling water, and then we immerse it in cold water, and then it becomes kosher. It can be used for meat again. If the pot <coughs> that I cooked the milk in was used for meat more than 24 hours ago, now it's called an Enoi Ben Yomo. It's not a day old. It's The taste of the meat is more than 24 hours old and therefore has become Pagum. It has become stale. It's a stale taste now. And that stale taste is not going to make the milk that I cook in it in that pot not kosher anymore. The milk will be kosher. I can drink that milk that I cooked or that porridge that I cooked in a meaty pan, in a meaty pot where the pot was more than tw- wasn't used within the last 24 hours. Only if it was used within 24 hours, only if it's what we call a benyomo, only then can I not drink the milk or the porridge that I cooked in that meaty pan. After 24 hours, it's considered as an Enoi Ben Yomo. Okay? And that's okay. I would still need to kosher the pot, because I need to get it back to be a meaty pot, and it's now a milky one. But 
but the food inside that I cooked inside it is okay to eat. Now, that's the basic things we have of Kashrut. We also have another in Kashrut. That we have also have another important rule that I want to mention before we get into the complicated stuff, and that's called Bitul. Bitul Bashishim. That a taste is a, 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 something that's not kosher is annulled in 60. That means that if I have a cholent cooking and a drop of milk falls into that cholent and it's not visible, then if the cholent, the volume of the cholent is 60 times the volume of the drop of milk that fell in, then the taste of the milk is now Nullified, it's now bitul, batel, in the majority, which is the meaty cholent. And so I can still eat the cholent. The cholent is okay to eat, as long as there's no taste of the milk in the cholent. Right, you heard the famous story about the, the guy, the family that had just got a new non-Jewish maiden. And she served them the cholent to the table on Shabbat. And they, the cholent had a tremendous taste. They'd never tasted cholent like this. They asked, what happened? How could it be? They were all talking about it. And the maid said, came in and said, ah, a drop of butter makes such a difference. <laughs> they all almost fainted on the spot. She put a bit of butter in the cholent because she didn't understand anything about halacha. That's the danger of having a non-Jew around in your kitchen that's, or that doesn't understand anything about kashut. They may have the best intentions. But someone who doesn't know the halachot just can't do everything and they can never know everything and to teach them everything is almost impossible. So you need to be very careful having a non-Jew around in your kitchen that they're under supervision all the time to make sure that they don't do something wrong even without any intention. The same really goes for a Jew that doesn't know the halachot of that We also need to be careful that uh, they won't make mistakes in our kitchen. Um, okay, so let's get back to what we wanted to talk about, the not bar not. Not bar not. I've, if I've got a meaty pot, and it's a Ben Yomo meaty pot, that means it was used within the last 24 hours for meat, and I cook parev in that pot, I cook rice or I cook mashed potatoes or pasta in that meaty pot and now I want to use that meaty that I want to to eat that pasta together with a cheese sauce am I allowed to do so? so that first of all am I now meaty? Maybe because of the taste of the meat that was inside the pot. has now come into the pasta. So maybe the pasta is now a meaty pasta and I will have to wait six hours before I can eat milk after that milky pasta. The answer is, as long as the pot was clean, I don't need to wait six hours after the pasta. The pasta is considered as parif. Only if there was actual meat still stuck to the sides of that pot, if it hadn't been cleaned properly, only then would be there be a question as whether I can, I am now meaty or not. So, here is a bit of a problem, because if that pasta or that rice was cooked in a meaty restaurant, 
and I've bought it from a, a meaty takeaway restaurant, whether it's French fries or rice or pota- roast potatoes, I don't know if there's actual meat in it. And that's the most serious problem. If, for example, the French fries that I'm buying from a hamburger store were made in the oil where the schnitzels were also made. So the oil is now actually meaty. Just like if I were to take a potato out of a meaty cholent, that potato is actually meaty. And if I eat it, I have to wait six hours after it before I can eat any milk. And so if I've bought my French fries from a hamburger shop store that is cooking the schnitzels in the same oil that they're cooking the French fries, then I am now meaty. Only if they don't do that, only if it's only French fries that they're cooking in the oil, only then can I know that I'm going to be parif. Okay? So, parif that was cooked in a meaty pot, you, the, meat, the food that you've got there is considered as parif, as long as there is no dirt there, as long as, not long as there remains of meat there when it was cooked. And I must tell you that you're going to have to be careful in any meaty restaurant where you're buying <coughs> a power of stuff because they don't care. With the best cashwit in the world, they will just tell you, oh, no, no, everything here is meaty, everything here is meaty. They don't care if it's power of or not. That's not their, bo- that, that's not their problem. Even the mashgir there may not tell you because he also, that's not his job. His job is to make sure everything is kosher. Whether the rice is parav or not, that doesn't bother him too much. That's not part of his job. Okay, so you need to be very, very careful. It could be that even though the rice is actually parav, the rice in a meaty shop is actually parav, but they've put it out on trays where they're serving everybody and they're using the same spoon for the meat and for the rice. Or it could be that when they're serving someone their chopped liver, they're passing it straight over the the power of rice and things are falling into it and so in such a case you are actually meeting right you're not not by not you're not not by not right you're actually meeting and so you have to be very very careful about that because we don't want to get our meat and our milk mixed up together by the way let's just think together right why why did the torah say that we can't eat meat and milk together what's the problem is it a health problem? No. The Midrat Chinuch says that it's a question of mercy. The most cruel thing you could do is to cook a baby in its mother's milk. The mother's milk represents mercy and kindness. And to, to kill someone, to eat this animal in the milk of its mother, is horrendous. It's something that will cause us, if we do it, we know that what we eat makes a difference to us. What we eat affects us. I think the whole world is almost in agreement with that. That you are what you eat, right? There are samurai warriors, I've heard, that they eat live octopuses and it makes their brains very, very sharp and that gives them quick reactions. Everyone knows if you want to rile up a dog, you give it raw meat to eat. And that'll get it riled up. That's a way to get the dog riled up. If you notice, all the animals that we're eating, they're all docile, passive animals. We don't eat any cruel animals. Right? 
like that, that are doing harm to other animals. We, all all the animals that we're eating, they're all docile animals. That's also part of the "you are what you eat" idea. But also, so with meat and milk, even if it's not milk in, sorry, if it's not um, meat in the milk of its mother, right, which is probably very rare, right, if a, a cow in sheep's milk or goat's milk, right, that'd be the same thing, it doesn't make any difference, or a sheep or, or lamb in cow's milk, same thing, even though it's not a gdi in the milk of its mother, but nevertheless it'll arouse cruelty in us, we have to learn to be people that are merciful, that's what Hashem wants from us, to be merciful people. Okay, so, first of all, that's our first question, is answered, that even if you have parav that was cooked in a meaty pot, you are not meaty, unless there was actual meat, and you're always going to have to be careful to find out if that's true or not. Now, the second part of our question, what about now eating that pasta? If we've said the pasta is parav, can I now eat that pasta together with milk? Can I put cheese sauce on the pasta? Can I use the pasta in a lasagna? Right? Parav, French fries. Can I pour cheese sauce on them? That is now our second question that we have to deal with. The answer, like so many things, is a, is a machlokat. There's a argument about it. The opinion of Ravavadia Yosef is that you can eat that parav together with cheese. You can eat that parav with the opposite type. If you've made pasta in a meaty pot that was clean, even if the pot is a ben yomo, even if that pot was used for meat within the last 24 hours, nevertheless, you can have that pasta together with a cheese sauce on a meat milky plate. The opinion of the Ramah, the following of the Ashkenazim, is that you cannot have that pasta together with a cheese sauce, even though they agree that you are not meaty after making that pasta in a meaty sauce, in a meaty pot, but you cannot have that pasta together with a cheese sauce. You cannot eat it together with the opposite sign. If you did mix them together, you can eat it. That means in the first instance you shouldn't do it. But if you did do it, you can eat it. Okay? That is the general, uh, uh, that is the accepted psak amongst the Ashkenazi community. Now, why did I mention Rav Ovadia Yosef when I said the Sfadi custom? Because not everyone agrees with Rav Ovadia Yosef. Rav Ovadia Yosef himself's opinion was that you're allowed to eat that pasta together with milk. Other Sfadi rabbis disagreed with him. That even according to the Sfadim, we should not have that pasta together with milk. And what about if the pot was an Eina Ben Yama? If it was not used for meat within the last 24 hours? In such a case, everybody would agree 
even the Ashkenazim would agree that you can have that pasta together with milk. Okay? So let's summarize this rule of not bar not. Why is it called not bar not? By the way, not in tam, bar not in tam. That means that the taste of the meat that is absorbed into the parav that I cook in the meaty pot is a secondary taste. It's not a first taste. When I cook meat in the pot, the taste of the meat that goes, goes into the side of the pot, that's a first taste. But when that taste comes out of the pot and goes into the parav that I've cooked in the pot, it's a secondary taste. That's what's called notin tam, bar notin tam. That's why you say not bar not for as an abbreviation. It's a secondary taste. That secondary taste is, does not make the food, um, does not make the food meaty. It just means that according to some, you shouldn't have it together with the cheese. That's the idea of not bar not, this secondary taste, the secondary taste that's been absorbed in the food. Okay, so to summarize, power of food that was cooked in a milk, in a meaty pot, if the pot was a ben yomo, it's not meaty, and according to Rav Yosef, you can eat it together with milk, other people are stringent to say that you shouldn't have it together with milk. If it's an Aina ben yomo, then everyone agrees that you can have it together with milk. Okay? I wish you all the best, and Shabbat Shalom to everybody. All the best. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call one 800 T-S-H-C or email info at the shc.org to subscribe.